Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Wrap up this series that we've been in called Body Functions. Some of you uh, are getting in on the tail end of that, and so I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time in review. You have your catch-up card that will catch you up to where we've been. We've basically been talking about the fact that uh, God desires for us to function properly as a body, and uh, there's this uh, parallel, if you will. In God formed the church so that it parallels the function of the natural body. Your natural body works because there are biological systems inside of you that operate and you don't even know it. That's why you breathe without thinking. That's why your heart beats without thinking. How many of you are glad that those systems work? Amen? Uh, if you've never been in a situation where it didn't work, you don't really appreciate those systems as much as you should. Let your heart stop beating right and you will appreciate the fact that your heart beats right without you thinking about it. Amen? Can't get no help in this room. I know what I'm talking about. When you know, when you can't catch your breath, when you've always breathed easy and all of a sudden you can't catch your breath, you suddenly realize, man, I'm thankful that I don't even have to think about it. I can breathe. Amen? Well, just like in the natural, in the supernatural, uh, God designed the church and our, our functions, our roles, uh, parallel. There are functions and roles in the body. Our body consists, a spiritual body consists of individuals and relationships that carry out specific functions. And it should be that way. It's the only chance that we have for the body to function properly is for every person to fill their role and to perform the function that they're called to perform. Uh, we said like this over and over again, our survival depends on our ability to maintain and at times restore our internal environment. Paul taught us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 25, he says this. He says, the way that God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on the on every other part. Come on, touch your neighbor say, I need you. I need you. Tell them, I need you. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. We have said it like this multiple times and in multiple fashions. You were created for relationship. You are not designed to live life alone. I even saw one of my friends on Facebook. I don't even remember who it was. It wasn't anybody to go to church here because they ought to know better. But 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 they 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 posted this week a little picture and it said, "All I need is Jesus and me." And I'm going, "That's baloney. That doesn't work. That's not even theologically correct. That's not biblically correct. We need one another. You were never designed to live alone. You were never designed to live in isolation." We were designed to function and to, to operate in relationship. One of the ways I want to say this to you this morning is this. I want to make it known to you that Christianity has not and never will be a private practice. Our society is trying to force us to believe that. Our society is trying to tell us it would be better if you keep your faith to yourself and don't let anybody know and just secretly be a Christian. But the truth this morning is this. Christianity 
Can I get some help? They understand that if we would keep our faith private, then we're manageable. We're controllable. But how many of you know that if we get in lockstep with one another, and we get into relationship with one another, that we become a formidable foe? They can't control us. They can't defeat us. When we're operating together, we are not meant to be operating isolated. We are meant to be in relationship. And so we challenge you, and we said that the first level of that is we want you to get connected. We desperately need you to get connected to the body. But, but that's just first base. That's just kindergarten stuff. Because how many of you know you can get connected and still only be connected at surface level? So we challenged you and said, we want you to move beyond surface level. We want you to move to covenant level. Covenant level means this. Your enemies are my enemies. It means when you hurt, I hurt. It means when you're celebrating a victory, I celebrate with you. We are in covenant with one another. We are committed to one another. And one of the fruits of that relationship is this. We talked about this this last week. Is when we're in covenant with one another, I begin to carry you and I comfort you. So that when you're in need and when you're in pain, I respond and I have relationship with you and I help you. Well, many of us are, are struggling to function properly and, and, and because we're not in covenant, we become frustrated because what we do is we anticipate and we put expectations on relationships that are not covenant relationships and when they don't produce the fruit of covenant, we get frustrated. You can only demand covenant fruit when you're in covenant. I'm preaching already and y'all just sit there. Okay. So, so the reason that we do this and the reason that the body fails to function properly is because Parts of us, a lot of times, are out of alignment and we're not fulfilling our function. So for us to function properly, we must be so tuned into one another that I can respond to your need and I can carry you and I comfort you. That's why Peter told us last week in the book of Peter, First Peter, he said, listen, operate in deep love. Offer hospitality without grumbling, without complaining. In other words, our hands and our mouth get into cooperation with one another. And I don't just talk to you about I hope for your good. My hands get involved. And when I'm helping you with my hands, I'm not complaining behind the scenes. So that's how we're supposed to operate. We walk deeply in love. But again, like the natural body, there are times that we need adjustment and realignment. How many of you have ever been to a chiropractor? Like they do crazy stuff. They lay you down on the table, grab your neck, and go, and then all of a sudden you go, hmm, that hurt, but man, I feel good. Right? Have you ever done that? First time I ever went to the chiropractor, I, I uh, was scared to death. When they grabbed my neck and went, and popped it, I didn't know my neck could make that noise. But I felt better. I've been to a chiropractor like 30 times now, so I know how to do this. So right after church, if you want me to grab your neck, I will pop your, I won't do it because I hurt you. And then we'd be in trouble. Here's the issue. We've got to be aligned correctly. Aligned correctly. Here's our problem. I'm convinced of this. We like it when people are assigned to us to comfort and carry us. We like that. When I'm in need, I want somebody to run to my rescue. I want them to help me. I like that. However, we balk and we fight and we dislike the fact that not only does God assign people to carry and comfort us, for our own good, God also assigns people to us to confront us. Yeah. Okay, I knew it would get quiet in here. I suggest that we don't like this 
for several reasons. Number one, we don't like this because in large part, uh, those of us that are assigned to people to confront them, in large part, we fail to first show love. So they don't even know that we care about them. And then we run into this, onto the scene and we want to confront and correct. But because we haven't loved first, they don't want to hear us. Uh, have y'all ever been in that situation where you look at somebody and go, don't talk to me. I don't even know you. You don't know me. You haven't shown me any love. That's why Peter says, operate in deep love. And then he begins to talk about our gifts. There's a process here. My love makes room for my gift. And when I love you and I carry you and I comfort you, then I have the ability to walk on the scene and correct you. And you receive it because my love has built a bridge. We don't operate that way. We do. Many of us seem to take more joy in confrontation and correcting than we do in carrying and comforting. I'm preaching right now. Some of us are completely missing in action when people in the body need help. We, we put word out they need help. They need rescue. They need somebody to rally around them. And nobody wants to respond. But then when word goes out that they need to be confronted and corrected, they're, man, we're Johnny on the spot. I didn't want to help you, but I need to give you a piece of my mind and tell you what you're doing wrong because I because no love has been shown. The, the, the second thing that I think that causes us not to be uh, in alignment, we don't like this whole confrontation thing, is it really just comes down a lot of times to our own pride, our own rebellion. We're so undisciplined in our hearts that, that we don't like it when somebody is called to confront us or to call us out or to correct us because we want to walk in misalignment and we don't like the fact that God uses anybody and our own pride, our own hard-heartedness. Don't you tell me that'll live my life. But I remind you what I have told you in the past because it is true. You cannot be a disciple without discipline. We don't even want churches to talk about discipline anymore. But that's part of the body function. That's one of the roles that the body is called to is that we help one another walk uprightly. We help one another mature. We do that by discipline, by confrontation. That's how that works. The fact of the matter is very much this, is if, if I'm willing to carry and comfort you, then that also gives me license to confront you. If I carry you out of a financial need, then that gives me an opening, uh, the right, the license to also, if I was willing to carry and comfort you in a financial need, then it gives me the right to step in and confront you when I see you about to make a stupid decision that's going to put you right back in financial need. Why would it be all right for me to carry and comfort you and then to watch you go back into financial bondage? It is my, my responsibility not only to help you out of it, it is my responsibility to confront and correct so you stay out. That's why when we help you financially, some of you uh, are in need, we also suggest, man, you need to go to financial peace because if you'll follow those, those principles, it will set you free. That's why if I comfort and carry you out of a broken relationship and you show up and you're devastated and you're hurt and your heart is destroyed, then I have a responsibility and a mandate and so do each of you on our lives that when we see that person that we've carried and comfort out of broken relationship, that when they begin to make decisions that's going to land them in another relationship that's going to end up in broken and devastation and hurt, we have the, the, the mandate to step in and confront and say, you can't do this, man. 
this is what got you there before. Yeah. You got to make right decisions. Well, uh, how many of you would say this morning? First service didn't do so hot on this. I had to ask them twice, so I'm hoping you're going to get it right on the first time. How many of you want to be a part of a New Testament church? All right, I got eight the first time. I only got three in the first service on the first time, so y'all are already better off. So let's do this again because I think you're going to improve right here. How many of you would really desire to be a part of a New Testament church? All right, you're doing better. Good momentum. There we go. Well, here's the issue. How many of you understand this morning that just about everything we know about what a New Testament church is supposed to be is a revelation that we've received out of the Word of God from letters that the apostles wrote in confrontation and correction of issues inside the Bible. But we don't like confrontation. We don't like correction. But everything we know about even being a part of a New Testament church was birthed out of confrontation and correction. Don't do this. Quit making these decisions. Quit using your gifts like this. Sit down. Do things in order. That's all confrontation. Well, the, the issue is this, I think, in the new generation, in this generation that we live in right now, whether you're 50 years old or 15 years old, we're all part of this generation that's in the church right now. We're, we're, we're in this generation... Our issue is this, the mantra, the new mantra of an undisciplined, un, un, uh, uh, misaligned, disconnected believer is this. Here's the mantra. I hear it all the time. Don't judge me. Don't you judge me. I want you to understand this morning, that's a lie. The Bible is very clear. Jesus makes it very clear that we are in the judging business. That's what we do. We don't judge with condemnation. What we do is we inspect the fruit of people's lives and that gives us the wisdom and the understanding to make judgment calls on their life by the fruit that they're producing out of their life. We just don't want anybody to inspect our fruit because we know... But Jesus was very clear that we had to be willing to inspect fruit, make judgment calls. Paul understood that concept very well as he uh, as he begins to dialogue with the churches in the New Testament, in particular the church in Galatia. He makes a statement. He he makes he gives us instructions that it is absolutely essential that we confront and that we correct. He doesn't say you want to pray about doing this. He doesn't say, well, if you've got a really blunt personality, I want you to consider doing this. He doesn't say, you, you, you might ought to fast and pray before you. No. Paul says, this is a normal function of the body. Let me see if I can point it out to you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Listen very carefully. He gives instructions on how to confront them and the fact that we should confront them. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, here it is, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Another version that I kind of like is Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, I love that word, any. It's a Greek, Greek word, it means any. Any, any, that's all of them. If anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. He is literally saying, Paul 
instructions that we should watch for one another so that when we see one part of the one member of the body fall, that we must respond. We should restore. We can't turn a blind eye. Here's my question. How do you restore if you don't first confront? He's making it very plain. You should restore. Your ability to restore is completely dependent on your willingness to confront. You can't restore somebody you won't confront. Okay. One version that I read to you says that the spiritually mature should be the ones who restore. Our maturity is revealed not only on by our willingness to carry and to comfort. Our maturity level is revealed by our willingness to confront. You know what mature people do? Mature people will talk to you about something they didn't want to talk to you about because they knew that they needed to help you even though they're uncomfortable doing it. Immature people will ignore and will take the easy road every time because it takes mature people to go, you know what, this is an uncomfortable topic and I don't really want to butt into your business but I have a mandate on my life because I care for you and I'm committed to your good and we're in covenant with one another. I can't just ignore it and watch you destroy your life. I have a mandate and I'm mature enough to recognize I'm not comfortable and I don't want to do this, but i got to do this. That's what a mature person does. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. He makes a statement in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 through 6 that I wish we could capture this morning. He says it like this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. One version says it like this. Kisses from an enemy do you in. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. You know what Solomon was saying? Please catch this. Solomon understood this truth that real friends, real friends, real friends will wonderfully wound you. A real friend will step in when nobody else, when all the other friends won't say anything. And they will confront you. And even if it wounds you, they're willing to wound you for your own good. You can't date him. You can't date her. You can't spend that money. You can't go there. You can't do this. I know everybody else says go do this. You can't keep doing that because I love you too much. I'm a real friend. And I'll wonderfully wound you. Listen, we act like people love us the most. When they let us do what we want to do. How is that real love? How does that qualify as real love? When I let you do what you want to do. Listen, if what you want to do is going to kill you. And what you want to do is going to destroy you. And what you want to do is going to break up your marriage. And what you want to do is going to cause you heartache. And what you want to do is going to break you. And what you want to do is going to addict you. And what you want to do is going to take your future away from you. How as a brother in covenant can I stand on the sidelines and watch and you demand that I cheer you on? Doesn't work that way. Are we a good parent? If we hand the kids scissors, 
Not the dull ones that they use in kindergarten that nobody gets hurt on. I'm talking about the short, the sharp, pointy ones they use when they cut your hair at the barbershop. You know, the ones that would like like a sickle that would go right there to decapitate. You know, are we a good parent if we take those scissors and hand them to our child and say, run, Forrest, run, run, run? That's not good parenting. Then why is it good, good relationship in the body for me to watch you run yourself off of a cliff and never say, whoa, stop, don't do that? We don't want anybody to tell us to stop. David's life shows us the outcome of not having friends who will wound. You remember the story of David. David is a king and David is in his palace. He's not supposed to be, which is a whole different sermon, but he's not where he's supposed to be and he's where, he's, where he is at a long time. He walks out on his balcony. He's supposed to be at war, but he's at home taking it easy. He walks out on his balcony and overlooking the city. He looks down on the rooftop and he sees this fine lady taking a bath. He sees her naked and he begins to lust after her and he actually sins for her. There's only one problem. She's married. But David's the king. So David sends word to Joab, his covenant partner. Joab, his chief and commander of his armies. And he gives him instructions on what to do. Uriah at the front of the battle. And then he gets really sinister in his plan. He even gives him the dirty, dark details. Stick him out there way out in front. Get where the battle's at its worst. And right at the right moment, retreat and leave Uriah standing there all by himself, surrounded, dead. He sends those instructions to Joab, his covenant partner. And Joab never stops and says, why? He never questions David. Why do you want to do this? I love you too much to watch. I know you're the king and everything, but I, I love you way too much to, 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 to watch you behave like this. This is wrong behavior. Listen, I don't want you to be so loyal to your brothers and sisters in Christ that you stand by and watch them commit self-inflicted suicide. I don't want you to stand by and watch people in this body make decisions that's going to ruin their family and, and destroy their children and destroy their, their marriages and restore destroy relationships and you, you're so loyal as a good friend that you never say anything. May I submit to you this morning that if you are afraid that confrontation will cost you your relationship if you step in then it's time to reevaluate the value and the depth of that relationship. Listen, if your relationship can only survive if you offer approval and acceptance, then you are not in a covenant relationship. You are in a relationship of convenience. And when you don't approve, they will dismiss you and go find another relationship with someone that will approve of what they're doing preaching right now. See, some of us would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. We don't want anybody to say, stop, you're doing wrong. But as part of the body, we are going to have to learn that we are assigned not only to carry and comfort one another, we also have a mandate from God. It's just as much a legitimate function of the body as carrying and comforting. We, are, we have a mandate 
towards one another, that we watch for one another, and we confront one another. So how do we do that? See, last week I gave you some clues about carrying and comforting because I knew that if you were going to carry anybody and comfort anybody, you were going to have to know how to do it. This morning what I want to do is I want to give you three quick clues about confrontation because confrontation is not easy and you've got to do it right. If it's going to be, if we're going to do this, then, man, talk about opening Pandora's box. Talk about talk about opening up a can right here. We're opening it. To give, up, to give each other permission to come, come, confront and correct is dangerous business. we got to know how to do this right. Because some of us have got opinions and we want to share them. Right, we got to do this right. So there's three steps, three, three, three clues I need to give you. Number one, approach is everything. Approach is everything. Paul says, when you are going to restore, how should you do it? You know what that's about? Attitude. That's what that's about. You are to restore gently, out of love. So in other words, what he's saying, listen, if you see me in wrong, and I'm going to give you permission to correct, then you cannot approach me wrong. You cannot come and say, I, I told you so. I've been waiting on the day. I got something to tell you. I've been waiting. Uh, we cannot approach in anger. We cannot approach as if we know it all. We cannot approach out of the, this wrong attitude. Instead, above all love, I approach you when I'm going to confront you and I'm weeping and I'm broken and I make it very understandable that I didn't even want to do this. This is, I, I've, I've been sitting on the side of my lines waiting for the day. Well, I hope I get the day to confront them. No, instead I will approach you and go, man, I'm broken and it hurts me. And I didn't want to do this. I didn't want, I, I, I'm just throwing up. I would rather do anything else, but I feel like I got to tell you. And when you approach somebody like that, <laughs> the door is open. Because then they know that you love them. And you're so concerned for them. In fact, you're more concerned for them than you are for your own comfort. Because this is not easy. We got, I wrote this down, we got to do it like we got to let our love lead. I love you so much that I can approach you. My dad was in the first service and I made this statement and it's true. My dad uh, spanked my hand in. I never deserved it. No, I did deserve it. I never resisted it. I mean, I didn't like it, but, but I always knew that the reason that he was disciplining me was because he loved me. I didn't resent him for that. I don't need counseling now in my life because of my dad spanking me when I was a... He loved me. But he did it in the right attitude. Did you ever get one of those speeches when your dad spanked you? This is going to hurt me that it's going to hurt you? I thought, yeah, right. But now, I understand he was telling the truth. If we would approach each other like that, then I'm open to correction. But if you come to me in anger, know it all, I've been waiting on a chance, can I tell you the outcome of the conversation is probably not going to be very good? Because it's our love that opens the door. Okay, it's quiet. Second, I'm trying to get... It's just teaching. I'm just trying to help you out in your Bible this morning. Number two, we have to follow biblical instructions to get biblical results. That's deep, by the way. 
we have to follow biblical instructions to, to get biblical results. It amazes me how many of us will not follow biblical instructions, but then we expect biblical results. And it never works. I'm still astounded how many people will not follow the instructions that Jesus himself gave us about how to confront. We won't do it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. I'll read it to you. We don't like it, but I'll read it to you. This is what he said. He said, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Here's the part we don't like. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, guess what? They'll start all over. From scratch, confront him with this need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. We have allowed Facebook and Twitter to become avenues to circumvent his instructions. We don't take two. We don't even go one-on-one. We take it to everybody. We don't start private. We start public. Somebody does us wrong. There, 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 there's a need for confrontation. We won't follow biblical instructions. We start throwing Twitter bombs. Facebook bombs. Absolutely painful. I hate this passage of scripture. It's painful. These instructions are difficult. Unless you just mean these instructions are difficult. They're unnatural. Our natural sin nature, when we're offended, wants us to strike back and tell everybody and buy a billboard and say, Y'all see the billboard this week the lady put on the highway for a cheating husband? Y'all see? That's what that's what naturally this lady found out that her husband was cheating on her. She bought a billboard on his drive to work and it says, Dear my cheating husband Paul. I hope uh, something I hope you enjoy your drive to work with this new lady. You deserve one another. That's our natural reaction. Don't, don't laugh at her because that's what we do with offense as well. We don't, we don't have the money to go out and buy billboards, so we revert to Facebook and Twitter and texts and side conversations. They're painful, they're difficult, they're not natural, but they're also tried and they're tested and better yet, they're effective. When you follow the instructions of Jesus and you do what he says to do, those instructions work. That's why he told us to do it. They work. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a question. How are your methods working out for you? All you got to do is look around you and see the broken, the disillusioned, the disenfranchised believers. And you realize that when we don't follow biblical instructions, it doesn't work. 
I want to say something to you this morning. you got to hear me. You've got to hear me. The body will never function properly if it doesn't function biblically. Three. Your approach has to be right. You've got to follow biblical instructions to get biblical results. And three, you've got to know your limits. You, you cannot force change. Paul gives the believers in Thessalonica a, a set of instructions that I want to read to you because I think we've got to know our limits. Some of us, when we see a fellow believer that's not living right or they're struggling, we want to confront, but we don't know our own limits. We think we can confront and force them to change. Listen to what Paul says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Here it is. Have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. When you follow biblical instructions to the T, when you've gone one-on-one, then you've gone two-on-one, and they still don't listen, and you take it to the church and they won't listen, and you go back and confront again and they won't listen, there, there is this moment where you've got to know your limits. Paul even gives these instructions in Second First Corinthians chapter 5. He says that there is even such a thing, we don't like this, as biblical separation. When I confront you and you're not willing to change, and I point out what's wrong, and you won't change, there are moments where I have to biblically separate myself from you. Now, let me help you here. Because we want to invoke biblical separation over trivial stuff and over personal preferences. But Paul only gives us permission to biblically separate like that for certain reasons. And I'm going to list them to you because I want you to understand you got to know your limits. Here they are. He's very specific. He says... For anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral. That's one of the grounds. I confront you about your relationship. You're not doing what you should in your relationship and you fail to correct it. You're sexually immoral. In the church? Yeah, we've had to do this before. Then you have biblical grounds to go love you, but I can't hang out with you. That's one. He says the same thing, sexually immoral or greedy. He says you do that with people that are greedy. He says an idolater, someone who slanders. It is quiet in here. A drunkard or a swimmer. That's the list. The only six reasons he gives that you have the right to biblically separate, but you have to know your limits. So I've been confronting you and trying to correct you, but instead of listening to me, you begin to talk about me, and you begin to throw Twitter bombs, and you begin to throw Facebook bombs, then I have to follow the instructions and know my limit, that there comes this point where I have to go, you know what, I can't have anything else to do with you, because who I hang out with, I become. And Paul says, don't even eat with such people. You may have to just back up and let them do what they were going to do 
and then be there to pick the pieces up when it all falls apart. I've warned you. I've confronted you. I brought somebody with me. We brought the church into it. I went back to you, and you failed to stop sleeping around. You failed to quit going to meat markets, trying to make, find a mate. You, you failed to, to keep your mouth shut, and all you want to do is slander. I, you're greedy, and I've gone to you, and I've confronted you. i got to know my limits. I'm telling you this because some of y'all don't know your limits. You keep trying and trying and trying, and it's destroying not only your relationship with them, it's destroying you. And now you can't sleep at night, and you're worried, and you're anxious, and you're uptight, and you're frustrated, and you're getting angry. You've got to know your limits. Because in order for you to know your role, you've got to know your limits. We have a mandate to confirm. We must have a body that functions properly. I want to make a statement to you in, in closing that I want you to hear me this morning. Our ability as a body to be healthy and to grow is entirely dependent on our proper function as the body. If we are going to grow, if we are going to be healthy, the body has to function properly. That means that we have to get connected. That means we have to come into covenant. That means that I have to, we, we have to carry and comfort one another. That means that we have to be willing to correct and confront one another. The only way that we will become what God has called us to become is when this body begins to function properly. It isn't enough for the preacher to just function properly. If the preacher is operating at a high level but no other part of the body is functioning properly, then the effectiveness of the preacher will be affected. It isn't enough for the worship team or the youth ministry or the ushers or the greeters or the sound folk to operate and function properly all by themselves. The whole body has to function properly. I'll be honest with you. I've seen churches that blow up. I mean, there are people hanging out the windows, people waiting in line for hours to get in. And I make the, the assumption in my own mind, well, that preacher must be awesome. Don't look at me like that. There's some other preachers in this room that thought the same thing. Well, we a preacher like that. Or you make the assumption, man, their worship must be off the hook.
we think the preacher and the worship leader are what's drawing all the folks. It's just that now all the folks are there and they know who those folks are. Because the body comes in. Never become what we are supposed to be, but only a few of us function in the body part of listening. Listen, I, I want you to know I used to be naive enough to think that if I could be just a better preacher than the guy down the street, our church would explode. I used to be naive enough to think that if our worship team was better than the worship teams within a 50 mile radius of us, that we would explode. But I do have a question for you. Big. And it's cramped out in here. You got no room to park, no room to walk in. But we're not functioning as a body. And we're not healthy. Then what difference does it make? In fact, I want to submit to you that the only chance that we'll ever be big is if we grow healthy. Father, I call the gifts 
that reside in the individual setting under the sound of my voice, many of which and who are not serving, not utilizing their gift. I pray that you connect them now. We desperately need their gift to function properly. God, I pray over relationships in this room. If there's if there's a, a rift, if there's division, I pray that you would allow us to mature to the level that we would follow biblical instructions. You would help us to mature so that we can be healthy. I ask that you would give us that kind of body. And Father, we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn and tell your neighbor right now, I need you. Come on, tell them, I need you. Now look at each other saying, the other way, you need me. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.